Red light therapy is an incredible way for you to uplevel your health and wellness. I had the opportunity to interview the co-founders of Cala Red Light and I learned so much about the benefits of red light therapy. Not only does it help with improving cognitive function, but it also helps with skin health, getting better sleep, combating anxiety and depression, reducing inflammation in the body, increasing your libido, boosting energy, and stimulating hair growth. Check out the interview I did with Landon and Cameron, the co-founders, and learn more about this incredible practice and their product. Right now, they have very generously given all Balance Your Life podcast listeners 10% off site-wide when you use code BALANCEBYMEGAN, all one word, at checkout. That's 10% off site-wide any of their products online when you use the code BALANCEBYMEGAN. M-E-G-H-A-N at checkout. Welcome to Balance Your Life podcast. My name is Megan Farrell and I am the host of the show. This podcast is designed to inspire and empower you to start and maintain your own wellness journey so you can become the best version of yourself. Let's begin. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to another episode of Balance Your Life Podcast. I am your host, Megan Farrell-Gordon, and this is officially one of the last episodes of 2022. How wild is that? I I can't even believe I'm saying that, to be honest. Uh, I am scheduling this podcast episode as one of the last ones and stay tuned online. Make sure you are following me online at Balance by Megan on Instagram and TikTok to see what I am up to this holiday season, where I'm traveling to, all of that good stuff. I would love to have you on there if you are not following me already. And today I think is one of the most not only requested podcast episodes, but when I had originally posted that I was doing a podcast episode with a psychedelic expert, my DMs were just absolutely flooded with questions like, when was this episode coming out? (laughs) How soon could they listen to it? And I'm excited to tell you that that is what today's podcast episode is all about. So today on the podcast, I am joined by Matt Zeman. Matt is the CEO and co-founder of Happy, a mental wellness company that specializes in psychedelic-assisted ketamine therapy, along with digital therapeutics that promote life-transforming outcomes. As an entrepreneur in the well-being sector, Matt was the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Psychable, an online community connecting people who would like to explore the healing power of psychedelics with a network of practitioners and psychedelic-based treatments, and the co-founder of Take Two Minutes, a nonprofit dedicated to helping individuals improve their mental health and well-being. Prior to focusing on well-being, Matt had two other successful exits. Matt is the author of Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to the powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness, and received his Master's of Science in Psychology and Neuroscience of Mental Health with honors from King's College London. 
on this episode, we talk about psychedelic medicine, how it is being used to treat trauma, anxiety, depression, chronic pain, addiction, and health optimization. We also discuss microdosing versus macrodosing, the timelines, cost, and locations of doing psychedelic medicine, the benefits and differences between ketamine, MDMA, and psilocybin, and so much more. I cannot stress this enough. This episode is not meant to act as medical advice. You are always encouraged to be your own advocate and to do your own research, although I really hope that this podcast episode opens your eyes to the potential and possibility of alternative ways of dealing with traditional medicine. I really dive deep into my story of being on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication in this episode. You know, if I had known at the time what I know now about psychedelic medicine, it's just so interesting to see how much is coming to the forefront in how it is being used to treat anxiety and depression, which I know so many people struggle with themselves or they know somebody who struggles with it. And, you know, uh, we also do talk about like postpartum in this podcast episode, which I know was a big topic. A lot of people ask me if I knew anything about microdosing when it came to postpartum. I asked Matt about it in this podcast episode. We talk about PTSD, addiction, you know, even if you don't struggle with any of these things, but you're just looking to optimize your own health and well-being, I feel like this podcast episode is for you. Make sure to share this podcast episode with all your friends and family. Everyone, and I truly mean everyone, can benefit from this podcast episode. At the end of the podcast episode, Matt has given you a free guide to download for microdosing. So I will make sure that that is linked in the show notes. Make sure you check out Matt online. And without further ado, please welcome Matt Zeman to the Balance Your Life podcast. Before we dive into the podcast episode, I wanted to tell you about my Intro to Human Design workshop. This has truly been a tool that has helped me so much when it comes to understanding myself on a more deeper level, how I work, how I'm meant to rest, how I'm meant to make decisions in my life. It has been such a powerful tool since I started learning about human design years and years ago. I've recently done so many readings for clients on their human design chart. Everyone is hearing how accurate their chart is and how it can literally make the biggest changes and shifts in the best possible areas of their lives. But diving into the world of human design can be super confusing. I get DMs all the times about gates and planets and their authority. And I truly believe once you have the base of human design, it can make learning about your unique chart so much more easeful, enjoyable, and clear. I get so many requests on learning more about the energy types and authorities, specifically with human design, that I have decided to open my Intro to Human Design workshop as a replay. This is a workshop that I did live a few months ago. You will get access to learning what human design actually is. We will dive into each specific energy type, so projector energy, manifesting energy, generator energy, manifesting generator energy, and reflector energy. We'll talk about how knowing your energy type can benefit you in life and work. We will talk about the strategy that is associated with your specific energy type. 
we'll discuss the authorities and how you can make the most aligned decisions for yourself. You can use the link in the show notes to access the replay, and if you want to dive deeper into your chart one-on-one, make sure you also use the link in the show notes to book your very own personalized reading where I can go more in-depth on your specific charts. Welcome to the show, Matt. I am so excited to have you on. Megan, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you give our listeners a little bio of who you are and where in the world you are currently joining me from today? Absolutely. I'm calling in from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So a little little small college town here in North Carolina. Uh, My bio is I'm an entrepreneur turned accidental psychonaut. I have a master's in psychology and neuroscience and mental health. And really a specialty in, uh, in psychedelic medicine has been my, my focus for the past a little bit over three years. I would love to know how one even gets involved in that. Like, have you always been into the health and wellness space? Why did you lean in towards psychedelics? Like, how did you get started on this path? No, unlike you, I did not do 500 hours of yoga training to, uh, to find my way here. I was, uh, I was just a normal business guy building businesses for business sake. And, and I'm a, I'm a good entrepreneur. Um, and if, uh, almost four years ago, some friends who I trust said, why don't you, uh, do this guided psilocybin journey with us? And I was like, I don't know. It doesn't sound like, uh, something I would normally do, but I did it and I just couldn't believe what I saw and felt and how it changed the way I looked at the world. And um, I had no idea this other realm was possible. And um, as fast as possible after that particular journey, I turned all of my attention in this direction. So I went back to school to get this master's, started attending every psychedelic conference I could find, started working with different spiritual leaders and indigenous people to, to just show me, teach me more, 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 more. And then as an entrepreneur, I was looking for where can I add some value and help people get access and by making it uh, more affordable and easy to get. And that led to starting this telehealth company, Happy, which I'm happy to talk about a little bit later. But uh, yeah, that, that's what got me into this journey. So it was really by accident. And I am so grateful to be on this path right now. I feel like for me being in this space, there's a kind of a few things that come up for me. One, I think you hear some people who are like, I was a partier back in the day. I used to smoke weed and do cocaine and do all these things. So it's not really a, it's kind of a natural, I guess, next step for them to try psilocybin, ashawanga, all of these other things. And then you have other people who are like, I've never done anything but they have this desire to try these things or they're kind of like really unsure, but they hear the experience of what people have gone through. And they're like, that sounds amazing. I would love to try that. So was this kind of like, you know, you said psilocybin, you weren't really sure about it. Did you, was there any sort of like back experience that you're like, Hey, this will be fun. Let's do it. Or were you, was there like some nerves involved in trying it out? Totally. I, mean, I was a, I am a bit of a controlling person in terms of what I, how I structure my life and the idea of turning myself over to a medicine for six to seven hours was, uh, was, was scary. I mean, I'm not a big drinker for that reason. And I didn't do drugs historically. So this, it was, it was very, very different. 
but I trusted my friends. I trusted that there's a lot to learn. I just didn't understand what that meant. And in some ways I, I was even a little bit cavalier. It's like, oh, you like travel. This is like a big trip in your head. All right. So I, but now that I understand what this can do for depression and anxiety and OCD and eating disorders, it's just amazing. And I, and I do think it's beautiful, all the different reasons and ways people find themselves uh, drawn to psychedelic medicines. And I think there's, there's room for all of it. Did you, now have, are you experienced? I don't know, Megan, are you, have you participated in psychedelic medicine? Where are you in this, this, uh, <laughs> this path? I actually, it's funny because people ask me about it all the time and I have led a retreat and I've gotten a, some feedback of people going, do a psychedelic retreat. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not qualified to do any of that. Like I would never undertake mm-hmm. that. But then I got to thinking like, would I do this? Because, you know, like I've only ever smoked weed when I was like 20 and that I did not I do not like smoking weed like I'm not a person who really likes it it kind of heightens my anxiety Mm -hmm. but that being said I've heard some incredible things in doing psilocybin on its own but I think what really piqued my interest semi-recently is all this kind of research that's starting to come out with people who are postpartum and doing it and even though I don't have kids that is something that I would love to explore down the line and if I can offer people some sort of alternative rather than doing antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication I like I would love to be able to say this is a great alternative for you to try to explore so I've never done it I would I I think I would I would like to try but I'm also like I feel like I might have to be kind of in the moment like if I think too much about it I, I might talk myself out of it that um, you you brought up a lot of things there in that that little roundabout <laughs> disclaimers story. <laughs> um, the um, it would I think it's probably good for your listeners to understand that like psychedelic medicine is very different than cannabis. Um, so there are people out there who have had bad experiences or don't like what um, what cannabis does with regards, especially with anxiety. Today's cannabis with the heightened what's called THC and the decreased CBD has led to like for the first time ever people are having psychotic breaks on cannabis and so so it's, it's very very different um it's a different experience it's a different process a lot of a lot of cannabis not all is done just totally recreationally and much of psychedelic medicine is done intentionally and for medicinal purposes again no judgment there's there's room for recreational everything but it's just it's a different it's a different process and then in terms of postpartum I mean, the work on all sorts of depression, um, what, ha- what it, it, it's just the results are pretty incredible with psychedelic medicine. I would actually love to ask you about that. What sort of research or what sort of studies are coming out there? Like what specific type of psychedelics is someone taking to mm-hmm. help with anxiety and depression? Is it specifically one? Is it a couple of different things? And then how exactly does it help treat that? Because I feel like the Band-Aid approach right now, and it's so sad to see, but everybody's, I know I would say 80% of people who are on or have been on anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication, myself included. And I feel like it's just personally the wrong approach or a short-term solution to a long-term you know, journey you have to work through. Without a doubt. I mean, there's, there's there's kind of two price tags to antidepressants that we all know that 
they don't work on roughly 40-ish percent of the population. So price tag number one is you're going to spend eight to 14 weeks of your life trying to get a particular antidepressant to see if it works or if it doesn't, and then maybe doing a second and then maybe doing a third. It's a lot of time and it's a lot of time to live in, uh, in pain. So that's price tag number one. Price tag number two is just the side effects. Again, something between somewhere between 50 and 73%, at least according to one study, a couple studies, excuse me, um, uh, have sexual dysfunction with antidepressants, gastrointestinal issues, suicidal ideation, particularly in young people, sweats, weight gain, memory loss. I mean, the side effects are, are, are significant. So, but we live in a world where you're, you typically go down that path first before finding your way to a, a psychedelic medicine. It's a t- it can be a tough journey for a lot of people. With um, in in Canada and the states, the only legal option um, is ketamine right now. So ketamine is a legal psychedelic that is very effective um, for depression and anxiety. In Canada, you have a a fifty six one exemption where some people can get. Uh, I think it's I'm not sure it's just terminally ill or what how you qualify up there, but you can get access to a psilocybin and MDMA with that 56-1 exemption, which is which is cool and, and, and ahead of where we are here in the States. And then here we have two medicines that the FDA has given um, breakthrough therapy designation to, MDMA and then psilocybin. And we expect MDMA to be legal here in the next couple of years and psilocybin shortly thereafter. Do you want to talk about ketamine for a moment on this? Yeah, I would or like to. Stay. Tell, tell me. Yeah, that's okay. Where I would, would love- you like to go? to break down even the difference between psilocybin, ketamine, and MDMA. Like if someone's like, what's the difference? And where (laughs) where do what would I do essentially? Yeah. So let's 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 stick let's start with ketamine and then we'll work our way backwards. So ketamine is legal and and it's used here again, I'm not so sure on Canadian law and how and how the the nuance of it, but here it's called off label. So our our FDA approved it back in like nineteen seventy as an anesthesia. And it started to be used for mental health uh, as early as 74, but any doctor or prescriber can prescribe ketamine if they think it's going to help their patient. What ketamine does, so it was an anesthesia and it's used in a lower dose um, setting and it can be done intravenously where they hook you up to an IV. It can be done intermuscularly where they give you a shot. It can be done nasally where you, um, you use a nasal bottle, or you can do it at home using sublingual or oral tablets. So a lot of different methods of administration. And what it does is it, um, behind the scenes is it changes what's called the glutamate activity and and increases your, what's called the BDNF in your brain, which is going to improve, um, neuroplasticity and synaptic strength. So all that's really cool in terms of, uh, neurogenesis, neuroplasticity. It then stifles, like we have this, uh, default mode network. And if you can imagine just someone turning the volume down on it, for a little bit, which allows us to have some relief from kind of the normal worry um, and those types of um, of thoughts related to anxiety. So all that gets turned down. Then because it's a, a dissociative, the, 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 what was a side effect as an anesthesia, and here it's a, it's a positive. It allows us to kind of unlock these subconscious thoughts and repressed memories and emotions, which helps us um, open up. And, and you can open up either during a a session that you're taking with the ketamine or even after. So it just depends on how you're taking it. And then it has this fourth thing where 
for some people, it has a spiritual effect, um, which helps them connect to kind of a greater uh, meaning of life um, around them. It offers some peace and some relief from the depressive uh, symptoms or feelings of hopelessness. So all of that can happen in these one-hour journeys with ketamine. And typically, people will take one session a week for six weeks, and then they'll sp- that, that might be enough. For, for some people, that's it. And for others, maybe take it once every, every two weeks, once every four weeks to do kind of a tune-up, depending on what brought you to that medicine. So that's that's kind of a high-level overview of ketamine. Any any questions on that, or does that make sense? No, you were you answered my question that I had was like, is this something somebody is doing weekly, daily, monthly? Is it forever? Is it for a few weeks? But and it sounds like from what you're saying and just kind of my experience of hearing other people go through this, it's like you're getting to the root cause of what is causing you this anxiety or depression or a trauma and just kind of bringing it to the forefront and confronting it and seeing like, you know, why, why am I acting the way I do? What is my depression? Like, where is this stemming from? And just kind of becoming conscious or aware of it and and working through it. Yeah. With, with all of these medicines and ketamine included, when you remove the shame, blame, and guilt associated with whatever that memory is, and you can just look at it with fresh eyes, a, a healing can potentially take place. And sometimes that those feel, those uh, things you're looking at are decades and decades ago, and that you've been carrying them around, maybe without even realizing them. But yeah, super, super powerful um, as, as, a, as a healing tool, if, if that's... If, if that's why you're you're approaching the medicine. And then for many people, it's they might approach it because they know they're anxious, or they know they have depression, or they or or they they're like, oh, I, I want to just be the best possible me. And there's nothing specific I could put my finger on. All right. All of that's beautiful. All of that's fine. For me, I found things in my past that I didn't realize I was carrying around until um until they came out. I mean, I just one example. My mom died when she was 49. And uh in this that first magic mushroom or psilocybin experience, I reconnected with her and realized that um that I've been I've been afraid of dying. I've been living my life afraid of of dying. I also realized like I felt so loved and secure in this experience. It was like, oh my God, I don't remember feeling this loved and secure. I forgot that I could feel this way. And then once I had that memory of what it was like. I could then take that forward when I wasn't on the medicine and be like, I want to feel like this. And it gives me that, 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 um, grounding stone to keep coming back to. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people who use psychedelic medicine. No, I love that so much. What would the difference be between the psilocybin and the MDM, uh, MDMA? MDMA? There we go. Since you explain, uh, ketamine so eloquently, what would be the difference between the other medicines and why would somebody use one or the other? So I'm going to, it's a good question. So I'm going to approach it this way. When we talk about MDMA, we talk about it as a heart opener. So it, it still has a lot of, a lot of the effects in terms of being able to look back at, at trauma and, uh, and process it. it doesn't have the, the visuals that are typically associated with psilocybin or some of the somatic experiences that are associated with ketamine. But um, but it really opens up the heart. There's there's a sense of love. There's a sense of uh, an overwhelming sense of you are enough. You are okay, and that you have been and you always will be with MDMA. And it's really beautiful. The 
the super, the powerful statistic I'll give you with MDMA is this. There, there's, um, uh, we all know, we, or might know people who have post-traumatic stress disorder. And for many people, they're treatment resistant. The existing therapies just don't work. So think about veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault. These are these yeah, challenging, challenging post-traumatic experiences. There's a phase three clinical trial here that um, in the United States where they took people who were treatment resistant, PTSD, two sessions with MDMA, and 67% no longer qualified as having PTSD. It's such a large number. And because that number is so large and because nothing has worked here in the States where we have kind of a dysfunctional political system, you're getting both sides of the aisle supporting MDMA therapy. You're getting the FDA saying, yes, this, this makes sense. We're, we're, we're getting donors on the, to the nonprofit. There's a, there's a nonprofit here, the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies that has really pioneered this work. And they're getting donors from every walk of life because this works and it works where nothing has And it's the biggest opportunity in mental health. And since the invention of the antidepressant, which was more than 50 years ago. So, um, yeah, that's, that's MDMA. Um, can it be used for other things besides PTSD? Absolutely. But what it's, um, that's really where the focus of the, uh, of the studies are now. And then psilocybin or magic mushrooms is psilocybin would be the active ingredient and in the magic mushrooms, Johns Hopkins and Imperial college, a lot, lot of research. The focus there has really been terminally ill patients and trying to quickly relieve some of the depression and anxiety that they feel. And then, so that's kind of one batch of research that's obviously getting, it's again, just like it's hard to argue about, let's support our veterans. It's kind of hard to argue with, let's support our, our terminally ill brothers and sisters. But they're also showing things like um, for curbing alcohol use and curbing uh, smoking and um, other types of depression, anxiety, and, and uh, again, OCD, eating disorders. So I think there's there's a lot of things. The major difference between a ketamine experience and a psilocybin or MDMA is, is time. You can do ketamine in about an hour. So prep an hour of an experience and then some, some a little bit of coming out of it, and then you're kind of back to normal. Psilocybin or MDMA, you're talking about six, seven, eight hours, depending on the on the dose. So it's it's a it's a very different experience. When someone is doing something like that or a psychedelic experience, is it the best way to go about doing it on some sort of like controlled clinic or on a retreat where you know someone is holding the space, right? You have somebody there who's essentially like controlling it or making sure that you're okay and you're not going to hurt yourself? Or is there even like a way for somebody to do it at home? Because I can also appreciate that for some people, I don't know what the cost associated with this is, but I can even think of if someone ever comes on a retreat with me, like it's not cheap, right? And I can only imagine if I needed to have some sort of psychedelic involved in it, it probably would become quite expensive. But if someone's like, this sounds incredible, this sounds amazing, and I would like to try it, like, is there a way to even do it at home? Or is that like, I would never recommend that, that is not something that I think people should try? I really appreciate that question. There's there's three S's that we talk about, which is set, setting, and source. So I'll start with source because it's the easiest one. Source is where did your medicine come from? So what's nice about working in a clinical model, again, there, there's there, none of this is perfect. So again, we can break that down, but let's talk about the clinical model. When you're working with a prescriber of some sort, 
you know that the source of your medicine is pharmaceutical grade quality. And that makes a difference for those that are. And then psilocybin, you can oftentimes just buy the mushrooms or buy the dried mushrooms. So the probability of that being a quality product is pretty high. But when you talk about other synthetics, and many times you just don't know what you're buying. There's a study of MDMA out there where they bought a ton of street drugs and something like 50% had no MDMA in it. None sold as MDMA. And, uh, but it was, it was a mixture of other stuff. Another 20 or 30% was laced, had something else inside, maybe 20 or 30% was pure. It was, it just, it was just awful statistics. So I always, I do tell parents, um, especially parents of, um, teenagers, there, there's a company called dance safe or an organization which sells test strips. If you think your kids may be looking or, or procuring drugs, if they can afford the drugs, they, they, they help them with the test strips um, to the, uh, know what you're taking. We have kids here in America dying all the time from fentanyl overdoses, and they had no idea they were taking something with fentanyl in it. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's source. The set refers to your mindset. So what brought you there? So there's, again, like we talked about, you can come for religious reasons, you can come for uh, mental health reasons, you can come for recreational reasons, lots of different reasons, to find, uh, optimization reasons that brought you to psychedelic medicine. But what is your mindset? And then ideally, someone prepares you in advance for the what ifs. So you're going to take ketamine. You're going to put this medicine in your mouth for 15 minutes. It's for the next hour. You're going to feel disassociated from your body. You might have these types of experiences. If something bad happens, you do this or whatever. They, they help prepare you so that you know what to expect. And each medicine, just uh, having someone walk you through the, the what to do when is helpful. And, and then also the mindset is also, are you, are you ready? Do you feel called to this? Are you, are you scared? Having time to, uh, to talk about your intention, all of that is important, which then brings us to setting. So in the setting, it's who's with you. Are they people you love and trust? Um, or, or is the sound controlled? Are you worried about being interrupted? Are you worried about the, the, the place, all of those things in a medical setting? Okay. You don't have to worry about that as much. But there are, um, like my company, Happy, is a telehealth company. So we're sending people medicine and we're helping prepare them in advance, but they're doing it in the comfort of their home, which if you can, if you have the luxury of having a home environment where you can do that, that's great. For those that don't, there are many, many ketamine uh, clinics and places that you can go and use their facilities. But it costs more money, but it's possible. And then alternatively, you can always try to work at a friend or family's house and, and do that. So the least expensive option is the telehealth option because you've removed some of those steps and then the, uh, the clinics from there. And then you also just brought up retreats and kind of the same, the same general rules apply to retreats. So can they be expensive? Sure. But there's a retreat for kind of every budget. In my book, in, uh, in Psychedelics for Everyone, I do have a whole thing about how do you pick a good retreat location. And what I'd encourage people to do is, is, is ask the, 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 I think if I was going to ask one, two questions, the two questions I would ask would be how many people are going to be on this retreat with me? There are some beautiful retreats with under 20 people, under 40, and there's other retreats with 80 or 100 people doing psychedelic medicine at the same time. My personal opinion, that's a lot. Others might be comfortable with that. So at least know what you're getting into and know if you're comfortable with that. And then the, um, the second question is just if anything, if there is any medical issue, what do you have on staff to help? Um, again, the beautiful part about most psychedelic medicine is there really isn't, there aren't a lot of side effects, which would, would lead to a medical issue, but there's just the regular medical stuff that happens. 
and while on psychedelics, having proximity to care is is uh it, it can be important because you're you're in a state where your mental faculties aren't going to be making the might might not be making the best uh, medical decisions for yourself. That actually leads me to a question I have for you because I do know someone who is in January going on a retreat in Costa Rica to do a psilocybin retreat. I believe it's psilocybin. And he had to go through an interview or he's going mm-hmm. through an interview. And I think one of the things that they do is just make sure that you're medically stable to do this. Is there anyone who is not, should not be doing any ketamine, MDMA, or psilocybin? Like if anyone is prone to, like if they had a heart attack recently, or if they have really bad OCD, like, is there anyone who is like, I would not recommend this type of person do this, or at least not under very strict medical care? So um, I'm going to answer that with with a, there's a couple of nuances to your question. So first, I I think wherever your friend is going is that's a good example of if you're going to a retreat or participating in the psychedelic experience, and they're not doing a medical intake, that's a pretty big red flag. You want them asking those questions to know what medications you're on, what your history is so that they, so that you can find out, are you a good match for each other? Um, and I'll use, I'll use us as an example, again, on the telehealth side, um, happy we're, we're great with, um, kind of middle of the road, depression, anxiety, optimization. But if you have severe post-traumatic stress disorder, you have severe suicidal ideation, ketamine might be good for you, but not telehealth. So, um, so, and the same thing is true in retreat. So what, why are you going to that retreat and are they a good fit for you is, is a great question to ask. The nuance of the question you're asking though in regards to who is a good fit or not kind of ties back to that Western model for, for, for how is research done in our countries. And our, it's hard enough to get to do research on psychedelic medicine that, um, that our researchers for the most part pick people that are kind of going to be cleaner profiles. So there's not a lot of research on bipolar or schizophrenia or autistic or people with even even one degree of uh, in their family with those types of things. Dr. James or Jim Fadiman says there's, but on he, he talks about kind of the citizen scientists. So if you go into the Reddit groups, not always the best source of information, but uh, you can find an, uh, there is an autistic community. There is a bipolar community of people who say we do psychedelics and these are our experiences. So the m- more you slide into those types of categories, the harder it's going to be to get Western medical science to say, yes, you are a good candidate for psychedelic medicine. So am I, am I sitting here saying that you should not do that? I'm not. Um, but I'm saying it's something that you probably should spend some more time thinking about and researching and make sure it's sure it's right for you. But it's, it is, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky question. Um, I can tell you that if you're taking antidepressants and you have, especially, um, SSRIs or, or uh, Maui's, um, MAOIs that, um, those the 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 serotonin um you have to watch your serotonin levels so and many times they're going to say you have to wean yourself off of those before taking ayahuasca or psilocybin or mdma ketamine is a bit of an exception ketamine works with your glutamate system instead of your your serotonin and it is one of the few psychedelic medicines you can take while on antidepressants so uh yeah, but but definitely be be aware of, of the the contraindications medically would be where I'd start, and then the second place is how severe is your trauma and just is wherever you're going are they set up to work with it? Working with vets with PTSD is very different than working with uh, an entrepreneur who has 
some anxiety and depression. I know that makes complete amount of sense. And I think that would be the case for anything, you know, like you do have to do your own research and be your own advocate and make sure that it is a good fit for you. Is there, I know we were just talking about different sort of categories of people who should be maybe doing a bit more research or seeing if they would be a good fit or not, but is there even like an age group? And I reason why I asked this is because I have been so disappointed and upset about how it seems like younger people are, are, and being described antidepressant and anti-anxiety medication. Like, would this be something like if a parent was like, you know, they're just, they're prescribing my 14, 15, 16, 17 year old with all of this Western medicine that I don't really necessarily want them to do, but I'm at a loss of, you know, helping them. Could they be doing something like this? Is this something again, that you would wait until they're a little bit older? Like, I don't know if this would have any effect on brain development. And on the flip side too, is there even like an, the older you get, the more risk you run of, you know, maybe having a heart attack or something during an experience. I just, I'm so new to this. I, I, wouldn't even know which way to go. Uh, great question. So I'm going to work backwards here. I'm going to start on the heart attack just because I, I want to bring up, I want to go back to ketamine. Super powerful medicine needs to be treated with respect. If you have unmanaged high blood pressure, it's something to watch out for. It can increase your, 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 your blood pressure. And then that can be a, that can be a risk. On the other hand, if it's managed, it doesn't increase it so much that it's typically not a risk, but it's at least something to be aware of. Most psychedelic medicines not only have low side effect profiles, they have relatively low risks of things like cardiac events. Um, there's no lethal dose of, of a number of psychedelics. Um, Ibogaine, we, can, we, we haven't touched on that yet, heavily used for, um, for opioid disorders, but that has a pretty high risk of, uh, or sorry, has a risk of cardiac. And that's something you definitely want to really consider doing that in a medical environment versus a... Uh, ceremonial. It just, it carries some more risks with that particular psychedelic compared to others. You, um, so then you brought up the parent component and kids. And I mean, I, again, I have a 17 and a 19 year old. So this, this hits close to home. It is hard as parents because we, we believe what our doctors tell us. So when a doctor says you should put them on medication, it's, um, it gives pause. And I would encourage each parent to think about what does that mean? There's, there's medications that can make a huge difference for a number of people when they work. The question is, it ties back to why are they being really, why, what is the root of why they're being prescribed this medicine? Are they being prescribed it because they're not able to function in the school setting the way the school wants them to? And that, that begs some questions that begs and there's some privilege of, well, I don't want to send them to that particular school or I want to do a different type of option. And maybe are they being prescribed it because they can't interact socially and just have the developmental time? There's, there's just, what is that reason? What? It, so trying to get to that route, did they have trauma or things in their, their past? Are they, um, are they stuck on some identity challenges, self-esteem issues? What's going on that we're trying to cure with a pill versus maybe taking a longer route but working through some other different systems to, to work, can we, can you maybe do a lighter dose and do the systems and do some kind of hybrid? I have been, again, I went from being knowing nothing about psychedelic medicine to now seeing 
a lot of different uses. And I've been shocked in a good way about how many teenagers I've seen at different psychedelic events with their parents. And I'm talking about parents that are absolutely mainstream, successful parents with kids that look like our kids. And it's, uh, and how they're working as a family together to look at each other as humans and for the child to understand that we're, we're just doing the best we can as parents. Um, there's no instruction manual to being a parent. And now you get to see us with our masks off. And then conversely, we're looking at you. We respect you as a human. And, um, and we're here to help you in this and, and to shed the things that aren't serving you and to add things that are. So it, historically in different cultures, like in, in uh, ayahuasca as an example, in the indigenous communities in Colombia, I mean, they start as babies taking ayahuasca. It might be just a little bit on a finger, but they start very, very young. And, and the community is doing it throughout their life. So uh, there's not a lot of research for children, but anecdotally in the citizen scientists that uh, Jim Fetterman talks about, there's, there's a lot of teenagers who are uh, partaking in this community. Well, you say things like there's not a lot of anecdotal um, or like studies and stuff, but I feel like that's the same with Western medicine. It's like we don't really know the long term effects 100, 200 years down the road. Like we might know in five years, but it, I guess the reason why I asked this too is it's something that I mean, I was diagnosed very young, grade five, with obsessive compulsive disorder, and I was put on antidepressant and anti anxiety medication mm-hmm. right away. And it was the one thing that you said at the start that really resonated with me was how many different strands or different types of medication I went through before I found the one that quote unquote worked. I mean, I had an experience where my mom found me like cowering in a corner, crying about the dragons that were trying to get me because I was like having, I was seeing things that weren't there. The first one my suicidal ideology became more pronounced. Like I got really into cutting and, and all this stuff. And then the other one, I had the psychotic break almost mm-hmm. on it. And then I found one that leveled me. So I never really felt happy, but I never really felt depressed. I never really felt joy, but I wasn't really anxious anymore. I was just like coasting through. And I think it always makes me so nervous to think of like having kids on the road. Like I would never want my child to go through the things that I went through. And I was grade five until I was 18 or 19 on this medication and no fault to my parents. You know, it was like, we just want our daughter to stay alive. Like she's talking about committing suicide. And I, my hope would be like, if that was something like my child was interested in, like, absolutely. Like, why wouldn't I give this a go or a try as opposed to the traditional Western medicine that yeah, there is a a time and a place I think for it for some people, but knowing what I went through and the experience that I had, I would be so open to trying an alternative. If that was something that my child or somebody knew who was younger wanted to try. So I want to just take a moment, just take a pause between what you just said, because it deserves a pause. That was beautiful and, uh, and sharing and revealing and thank you. And it's, it, I think at one level, I'd encourage you to potentially think about there's a notion that everything's perfect, not necessarily okay, and that it all happens because it needs to happen. So you're here sitting there having this conversation today, reaching thousands of people, bringing up what you're bringing up, 
because of what you went through. So it's, it's not what you would have scripted for yourself, but it made you who you are. And would you take that away from your kids? Cause we just, we just don't know ever with anything could be good, could be bad. Who knows? And I, and I, from the parent perspective, it's like, we all do the best we can knowing what we know at this moment in time. And um, in retrospect, it's like, oh yeah, I probably would have done that differently, but it is what it is. So I love all that being said, I do love what you're saying that with where you are now and for your child, you'd be like, you know what? I think we should try something else. And I'm open to it. I'm open to everything that that means because the medicine is just one little piece of that puzzle that you brought up. It's all of it. It's how you look at your child. It's how you interact. It's how you think about them. It's how you think of their place in the world. It's how you think about what they what they need to survive and to thrive. And it's all beautiful. And and I that's kind of where I feel like we're all on this. We are expanding consciousness. We are changing the way the world works. And it's, 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 it's you coming to the conclusion you've come to and, and other people coming to, to hopefully similar conclusions that allows this to become medicine, accepted medicine, allows us to have true discussions on mental health and to be open about it and to be no more embarrassed about having, um, about having a, a period of time where we're cutting or having suicidal ideology than you would be about having a broken leg. It's just something we went through and now we're on the other side. And we carry all that perspective with us. Yeah, I love that so much. I would love to know what is, I guess, what is the difference between what you're talking about doing these retreats or going to a clinic or even doing it at home versus like microdosing? What Mm. is the difference between it? What would be the benefits of one kind of versus the other? And like, what does that even look like? Like for someone to microdose psilocybin or... I'm not sure if you microdose yeah, yet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I'll do, I'll do a couple of things. I, I have a free, I have a guide to microdosing and I'll just put it up at, uh, at my website, mattzeman.com slash balance your life. I'll make a little landing page and people can go there and download this uh, guide to microdosing, but let's talk about what is microdosing. So when you microdose, when people say, oh, microdosing, that is typically a 10th to a 20th of a regular dose. So it's a very small, what's called a sub-perceptual amount of medicine. So the idea is if you're microdosing correctly, you don't really feel it. You can drive, you can work, you can go about your life, um, but you have taken some psychedelic, a little small amount. The idea is that just is that everything is kind of the blues are bluer, the grays are less gray. You feel more connected, you feel more loved, you feel more creative. That's the idea. Is there a lot of research on this? No, but there's some. And it's inconclusive. There's some research that says, yes, it does all these things. There's other research that says, no, it's a placebo. I don't know. For a lot of people, they uh, they find it very effective. In Canada, you have some companies that are like, uh, I think, Solcybin, S-O-U-L-C-Y-B-I-N is a Canadian company that uh, that cre- has a beautiful microdosing product that you can mail order. And it comes packaged and it comes in different. You can do a sample pack of different strengths to figure out what's the strength for you. And um it's, we don't have those options in the States, but you do. I'm not quite sure how you do, but you do. So that's what people's talking about. Typically it's mushrooms or LSD. And then the only other thing, um, if people are in con- considering microdosing, there's, there's kind of two set protocols that are recommended. So a, a, a famous mushroom guy named Paul Stamets talks about, he has a stack where he's like, okay, take a little psilocybin with uh, lion's mane or Reiki this other, or, or neosin, and you do it three or four days in a row. 
and then you take off for three days. Then you do it again and you take off. And every 30 days, take off for a couple weeks. So that's his protocol. Um, Jim Fadiman, who we talked about before, he wrote the Psychedelic uh, Explorer's Handbook. He says, take it on day one, stays in your body on day two, it's out on day three, and you do it again on day four. And again, you do that for about a month, take a couple weeks off. So you want to give a couple weeks to let it clear your system every 30 days or so. So all that's in this um this guide to microdosing. You're, you're welcome to have it. And uh, yeah, hopefully that's that's helpful. But that's that's very different than going to a retreat or going to a in a clinical trial and doing a macro dose where you're doing five grams of mushroom. So um, it's a very, very, very different experience where you're definitely feeling it and you're definitely having a having a, 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 a very, a, a psychedelic experience. Would microdosing be something that someone should try before they do like a mi- macro dose? Or is it kind of like, depends on what you're going for, what the end goal is, you could do one without doing the other, and it would be fine. Or yeah, is it like try microdosing first, if it works great, then you can try the macro dose and see if that works for you. They're two different animals. So it's really, what do you, what are you trying to achieve? People, I think if I remember correctly, the, this kind of how microdosing got popular is it, it, back in the sixties, there's this, this study out in a, in California where they took 27 individuals who had some type of work problem that they couldn't solve for three months or more. And they gave them a mescaline, another, uh, another psychedelic and um, 13 of them solved the problem. So that was, and then so, so Silicon Valley's kind of latched on and Steve Jobs famously was a big psychedelic proponent. So the idea I think behind microdosing is if it works in the macro, can I just take a little bit and will that enhance my performance, enhance my everyday life? That's the theory. So for, for enhancement, for turning the blues up, the grays down, sure, try microdosing. But if you're looking for kind of bigger shifts and bigger shifts in, in, uh, in, and I, again, I keep talking, I talk about psychedelics as a catalyst. It's not a cure, it's a catalyst. So, Because we forgot, we forget. What does it feel like to be loved? What does it feel like to be enough? What does it feel like to have the weight of the world off our shoulders? Until those things are lifted, until our neurons are connecting again like they used to when we were kids, we forget. So these larger doses kind of can shake that up in a really beautiful way. And then from there, you can move on and you have, again, something to aim for. And for many, many people... They do a, a large dose of a psychedelic once, twice in their life, and they can then work from there. Others choose to do it more frequently. Again, no judgment, but it, it's it can be a big it can be a big catalyst for uh, for for changing your your lifestyle. I love that you said it's a it's a catalyst for a lot of things. Like yes, it can do incredible things, and it can have all these wonderful benefits. But I think it's up to the person to to keep that kind of lifestyle going it's like I don't know CBD right now is a really big thing my husband works with a CBD company and I feel like people will come to him and be like will this cure my insomnia like I can't sleep I want to take this CBD and it's like yes it will help but also like it it doesn't make a difference if you're watching scary movies till two o'clock in the morning and you're drinking soda before you go to bed and you're a really high strung person like it's not a miracle worker it's just it's like you it's almost like a catalyst like you have to have these proper health and wellness practices in place for it to really make a difference you can't eat a salad and then once a week and have mcdonald's the rest of the week like that's not how this this works <laughs> yes that's the perfect analogy these are um this helps change the habits but what but i think for a lot of people especially people who've had depression or anxiety for a long time 
just the where do you start is such an overwhelming question. It's like, I can't even get off the couch or I can't, I just don't, I no, I just can't start. And for some people taking this first step, okay, I'm going to do a, a psychedelic experience at home with ketamine, with whatever, I'm going to retreat. Finding again, that love, that acceptance, and it's not an intellectual, it's not as much of an intellectual exercise as it is a somatic energetic exercise where it's like, oh, oh, I know what to do. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I know what to do for myself. And then once you know that inside, you can then do that. And I don't, there's lots of, lots of other ways to get to here. I'm not saying psychedelics are the only way, but for a number of people, psychedelics are a, uh, are a good way to find that internal voice again and be able to carry that into the world. You've gone to all these conferences. You're an expert in this space. Besides helping to treat with anxiety and depression, PTSD, trauma, is there any other health optimization benefits that have been, maybe there's a study that's being currently done or that has been done, or even, you know, there's this thought process like, hey, maybe it could really help prevent you know, Alzheimer's disease because it's helping to strengthen the neuroplasticity in the brain. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that, like from a health optimization perspective that you're seeing psychedelics really help play a part in? So there are 309 academic institutions either studying psychedelics or with psychedelic centers as of now. So at least everywhere you look, somebody is looking into this on what could it do? And and lots of different philosophies. Like some are saying, oh, we want to remove the hallucinogenic properties and see if this, they still work. All right, that's interesting. I don't necessarily think so, but we'll find out. Um, and others are saying, well, can we decrease the, uh, can we find a way to do magic mushrooms in four hours? And how can we do that? Still have the potency, but decrease the length. Um, some are looking at what are the effects on the nervous system? What are the effects on on, on neurogenesis? And can we increase that um, faster? And can we use it for other things? Um, I think as a whole, the application, if you think of anything that, that is rooted in either previous experience or in thought process. Um, so examples would be like, we talk about addiction. So it's easy to talk about drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or substance use disorders. But we talk less about addiction to work, addiction to porn, addiction to spending. I mean, there's so many addictions that we just don't as a society talk about. But it's all kind of that I do this because it makes me feel good somewhere because it's covering something else up. Eating disorders fall heavily into this category. So there's lots of research and, there, and more coming on how can psychedelics be used for kind of across the board on these things. Again, I, I went into, I, I didn't, for me, I haven't had a drink since doing my first mushroom experience. And it wasn't something I thought about. It just, it was one thing that just fell away. I don't know why. I don't think anyone knows why, but I, I think that happens more, it happens it happens enough that it's a thing and it was, it was completely unexpected for me. Now, if I went in with that intention, maybe I would have had a higher chance of that happening. But, um, so, so that anything yet yeah, where you have these, these thought patterns, there's, there's studies, there are studies being done now with autistic, um, uh, people to see, can this help in terms of bringing them into a, a different role or interaction with society? So I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes over the next 10 years with, with the studies. 
Is there anything that I haven't asked you, whether it comes to psychedelics in itself or a protocol that you think has been really transformational in this space? Anything at all that you want the audience to know about? I think there are two things that are super, really surprising to me. I grew up in kind of the just say no 70s and 80s where it was like, drugs are bad. This is your brain. It's going to fry your brain. There's no medical use. You're going to get addicted. Bad, 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 bad. And doing the research and learning, okay, why were drugs made illegal in 1970 with the Nixon administration and finding out, oh my God, this had nothing to do with science. This was about breaking up kind of the anti-war movement and the some of the, the civil rights activities that were happening with the black communities. That's, in retrospect, awful. And I, I just didn't know. So I think I would encourage your listeners that have a, a, a reaction to psychedelics to kind of just just pause, look at it just a little bit. Is it a reaction because it's because what we've been programmed to react? So you're doing exactly what, what our governments and our schools wanted us to do. Or is there something else there? And then same as it ties to religious freedom. I always thought we had religious freedom in our country until it's like, oh, I want to do this as a religious expression. Oh, it's not allowed. Huh. Why not? It's been done for thousands of years for religious purposes, but it's not an approved religion. And what does that mean? And really in, in this, in Psychedelics for Everyone in my book, I, I tried medicine by medicine to just lay out this is the data. Here's the research we know. Here are the things we don't know. But that's so you can make an informed decision. And then I did have every chapter medically reviewed so that there's another set of eyes trying not to be too technical, too opinionated, or just too out there. This this is for you to make up your own minds. But it's we are now living in a time with the internet and with access to information that we've never had before so we can make different decisions. And um, I think that's exciting. I think it's exciting. And just like you were saying about what do you want for your kids? I would ask everybody else, what do you want for yourself? What do you want for your brothers and sisters down the street? What do you want for the good of society? You might not want to take a psychedelic personally, but how are you going to vote? And how are you going to interact with people that, that are? And uh, yeah, I encourage people to think about that. I wanted to ask, and I know you said you touched on in your book, you have a section on picking like the right retreat. But mm -hmm. one thing that I kind of hear about, especially in Canada, the US is like, it's not legal to do these types of retreats here. Now, I'm not sure if they're referring to one type of psychedelic, or if it's all psychedelics in general, you're not allowed to do it legally here. I would, I guess it's a two part question is a is that true? And B, if it is true, like where are people usually going to? Is it Central America? Is it South America? Are those the more popular places? Because I guess it maybe it is legal there. I guess I just, if a listener's like, oh my God, Bob down the street is doing a retreat in his backyard. Like maybe that's not the place to be going to. Um, so there are legal ketamine retreats in America. I'm sure there are in Canada as well. There are underground retreats of every flavor in both America and Canada. So again, if you're going to, it's unfortunate that we have to have an underground marketplace because that can lead to bad things. However, there are some beautiful, there are some fantastic practitioners that run really high quality retreats in Canada and the United States just quietly. They're hard to find if you're not part of the group. So if you, if you do find yourself thinking about one, again, just ask the questions. What is this? The, whoever's running it, what is their experience? Is it a couple years or is it a decade? Who did they study from? What is that? What do they have on, on, on staff for medical? What are their 
how many people are going to be there with you? What is their policy? And like, do they ever date their, um, their participants? Is there, is what are, what are the lines that are, that are there? And then can I cover all this in, in the book, but it's something to be aware of. There is, um, there are some, some, there are some bad actors who are not acting the way I would, I would hope they would. And there's some actors who are, might be well-intentioned, but are not experienced enough to be doing what they're doing. So then you talk about, okay, so what are my international options? Again, the same questions apply, just you have the, the one thing that's typically removed is the, is the legality risk. But Jamaica has some, some retreats now, Bahamas, Costa Rica, Peru um, are, are all popular destinations if you want to. So that covers kind of the beginning of the Caribbean and covers uh, South America and Central America. Uh, you can, the Netherlands has a number of places for retreats. I think those would be the ones I'd say off the top of my head are kind of the big retreat centers for, um, for now. And then you have, again, you can still try for clinical, clinical studies. And then for some in Canada with that 56, one exemption, there are, I know there's some retreat centers being built, but I think it's just for a very narrow band of your, of your population up there. Amazing. Thank you for speaking on that. I would love if you could talk a little bit about your telehealth company, Happy, because I feel like that's something that I, knowing about you and this company, like I definitely would have utilized because I've been super curious about even just the idea of microdosing. But like we were talking about at the beginning, I'm almost like, where do I start? A, I would want to make sure that I'm getting something that is clean and mm-hmm. it's not, you know, full of fillers or anything. Cause I think that's something that freaks me out a lot of the time is like, you just don't know what you're getting and B I'm like, well, what do I take? Is even psilocybin or mag- magic mushrooms the right thing? Or should I be doing something else? And how much am I taking? So I would love if you could talk about happy and what it is that you're doing and trying to bridge the gap for people who are interested in this type of experience. Yep. So, so happy is here to fight the unhappiness epidemic that I believe we have right now. And there's just massive mental health challenges that cause so much pain. And we are, we're providing these proven evidence-based treatments. So it it includes uh, psychedelic assisted ketamine therapy, but it also includes um, digital therapeutics and guides and preparation and integration. Even medicine is music. We have a this beautiful, beautiful soundtracks that take people on journeys when they're, when they're doing that with us. And then we've worked really hard to keep our costs down by providing it via telehealth and giving people the ability and, and the, the kind of checklist. If you're going to do this at home, these are the things you need to do to be successful. We believe that the research shows that ketamine can, can really help people suffering um, with anxiety and depression better in many cases than antidepressants without those side effects. And that there's a reason in our, we have the National Institute of Health here, and um, they said ketamine was the most uh, important breakthrough in antidepressant treatment in decades, and they called it a miracle medicine. So we believe in all that, and we're trying to get that to as many people as possible. So we launched in Florida. We're going to be adding different states as, as fast as we can, and then hopefully uh, cross the border at some point and, and be able to support you you up there in Canada. But it's, I think for a lot of people, the telehealth, the, the cost... For most people who are going into a clinic for ketamine, you're talking about $4,500 to $6,000 for your initial six treatments. With telehealth, your initial six are closer to $1,200. And that's a big difference. Um, so if you have a place and you have a supportive system where you can have somebody be your session companion and you have a quiet place, I think it's a great option for, for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure who who is offering telehealth in Canada right now, but um, I'm sure 
If not, somebody will be soon. But I do know that in every province you have ketamine clinics now. Well, you've influenced me to try this. I think that really? I I feel a lot more. I've been very leaning towards it. And it's so funny. I was literally just talking to my neighbor about uh, psychedelics and stuff. And because he was talking about, um, and I literally can never say this word right, but ayahuasca. ayahuasca. Yes, I, I, <laughs> That's a tricky word. It's a tricky um, word. It's hard to spell. It's hard to say. Ayahuasca. There you go. And uh I was like, you know, it'd be so amazing to be able to speak to somebody who is an expert in this because I feel like there's just so many questions. And even the people I know who have done like microdosing magic mushrooms, I'm like, oh, like, where did you get this from? Who did you learn this from? Like, well, why did you do it? And they're like, I don't know. Like, it just, I thought it would be kind of like an experience. And I've heard people have really good breakthroughs yeah. and stuff. So I tried it and I'm like, I feel like there, I need to know more information about this before I commit to it. So you've definitely opened my eyes and made it something that I feel really strongly about trying out now. I am so glad to hear that. Can I, can I, I want to respond to one thing you've said though, that, that just, you just triggered here that, um, that I think is important with ketamine. So I'm yeah. so glad that this, that's great. I'm glad you're, you're, you're interested in trying one of these. I do want your listeners to know that ketamine is a powerful drug and it um and it does need to be respected. So there is, um there has historically been a party scene ketamine element, uh, special K is what it's often called, and recreationally ketamine can be addictive. Mm-hmm. And when you use ketamine more than than in a in a clinical setting type or in a whether it's telehealth or in a practice doesn't make a difference. But when you change that type of dosage from what they're giving you to what people are doing recreationally you run the risk, not only of addiction, but of like severe bladder issues. Um, not seen again, if you're doing it under the doctor's prescri- uh, supervision in that kind of setting, all good. But this is the, so I just want listeners to be aware that when we talk about ketamine use under a doctor's care, that's about the dosage. It's about this, uh, how often, and it's, it's important that if now somebody offers, you hear this, this, this podcast, and then you're at a party and someone offers you ketamine, you're like, oh, I heard that's a good thing for my depression, anxiety. It's not the same. We're missing uh, the set and setting and the, uh, and the, and the safety rails around it. Just be aware of that. It's, it, it's out there. There's a reason it's been a party drug for a lot of years and it's dangerous when not used with the respect it needs. No, thank you so much for speaking on that. And there will absolutely be like a disclaimer at the start of this, because I want people (laughs) to make sure that they're doing their own research and everything. And it's, it's honestly, you could take anything in this day and age and give it a unhealthy addiction or a, a, or a, you know, like if you do this in a party type of scene, like, you know, even the idea of like cannabis, like cannabis has been used for when people are going through chemo, mm-hmm. I know my parents used it when they were going through chemo and it really helped them. Can you overdo it on cannabis? Absolutely you can. And it's, I feel like that's where people kind of get misinformation from is that they see mm-hmm. it used in like a party or a recreational sense or people overdo it, but there are so many good benefits that can come from it or helpful things, you know, even my husband right now, he has two herniated discs in his back. He was given oxycontin he took it for about two maybe months and his whole personality and demeanor changed and he absolutely hated it he smokes a little bit of cannabis that he grows himself because he just doesn't trust what's out there on the market 
and the you know he doesn't suffer with pain anymore and he still functions like a human being but it's you know like even cannabis people can definitely overdo it with and then there's other people who are using it for good reasons that is I couldn't agree with you more and, and actually that's the other thing we didn't talk about with ketamine is for chronic pain he lots of studies so people with cluster headaches um trying to avoid the opioids mm-hmm. um or to keep them down there's lots and lots of research on ketamine for chronic pain different those are different clinics for the most part but um yeah it's it's another way to, to avoid those opioids so interesting. I feel like I could keep talking to you about all this. I'm sure there's so many more uh, psychedelics too that we could talk about and get into, you know, what's Let's what do is another coming. podcast, another yes. day. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to ask before I send my listeners to go and check you out online. Is there a book, podcast, or resource that has brought you incredible value? It does not have to be related to psychedelics, although it can be, but anything that's brought you value that you want to leave with them? Oh, that's, that's, I'd love that. Um, I think since we're talking about psychedelics, if people haven't read how to change your mind or they're not big readers, check out the Netflix series, four hours of your life and you get how to change your mind. Um, I think that's beautiful. And then the, and then there's a really lovely movie, uh, called the wisdom of trauma uh, that a Canadian, um, Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate was, uh, instrumental in, um, and he's just doing such beautiful work in the world of, a. Uh, of trauma and that intersection in many cases between trauma and, uh, and potentially psychedelics. And he does a lot of work up there with Ibogaine and a number of other things, but I think those uh, maybe, maybe start there. Those are both uh, good jumping off points. Amazing, Matt, this has been such an incredible conversation. If people want to check you out online, maybe they want to check out happy and see if there's anything that you can help them with. Where can everybody go and find you? Yep. So mattzeman.com. And actually they go there slash balance your life, mattzeman.com slash balance your life. They'll get that free microdosing guide. I've got a bunch of videos and things on mattzeman.com and then happy.me. So happy with two Ys.me. Um, we have a lot of science information up there. And uh, even if we're not in your state, we, we might find uh, find us some of that information useful. It's a lot of studies are referenced and things like that. And uh, then of course, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the Facebook, all those good things. Happy to uh, happy to connect and look forward to more conversations. Perfect. I will make sure everything is linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for this conversation. Megan, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do and getting this word out there. If you love this podcast episode, spread the love by sharing this with your friends and family, share it out on social media, and don't forget to give it a five-star rating and review. From the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful that you are here. Until next time.